Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, I'm Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience. You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuestShow or via email at activequestpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, on to the show. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 144 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilton, and with me is a man who recently joined a Battletoads cult, Robert Workman. Well, I've been leader for, like, years. I don't know what this just formed it, you know. It's kind of been underground. I'm just trying to take it to the next level, you know. Like, I'm learning more and more about you every day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it doesn't help when you send me comic strips, you know. <laughs> so, uh, as part of as part of his wonderful Christmas gift here, uh, David sent me this awesome comic panel from one of the older Nintendo Power issues, which I went and had framed. You can actually see more about it over on my Twitter account, twitter.com slash the Thank you for that, buddy. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, sure when, the, when the cult does start, you are an honorary there you go, yeah. I'll get, like, the honorary tattoo along with it, too, just like how you are, so. <laughs> no, well, I try my best. But, uh, yeah, we were supposed to have a guest with us on this week's show, but uh, he had a last-second thing, so we were going to have him on next week. So this week, uh, pretty quick episode here, but we are going to talk about LJN and their not-so-successful history of releasing console games. We're going to get into that. Yeah. We're going to talk about whatever the hell video art was, all sorts of stuff. But uh, we do have some news, and uh, I'll tell you this, uh, David, even though neither of us are at CES this week, there is a lot of gaming stuff uh, going down. You know, Arcade 1-Up just revealed their next lineup of games, including Mortal Kombat, Karate Champ, and Golden Tee Golf. Um, mm-hmm. And my arcade has a lot of stuff going on, too. They just revealed uh, a number of new mini games, but they also have this interesting retro handheld slash console hybrid. They're trying to go after that Switch market there. Um, yeah. It's called like the Retro Champ system, basically. Um, and basically, it's, it's, uh, it allows you to play NES and Famicom cartridges um, like, like on this like one device. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a handheld uh, tablet, almost kind of like switch like device, uh, because you can also like play games like uh, through like an HDMI cord, I believe, like on your TV, uh, which, which is pretty cool. Um, it's just like, it's not like the most portable handheld uh, like device out there. Um, you know, especially when, you know, when, when, when you like consider like the fact that like there are, um, you know, that they could like put in like the, the old school cartridges in there. And uh, also the fact that the screen itself, I think is like seven inches uh, wide or whatever. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, like it, it's, it's a really like impressive looking device. I'm just kind of curious on like how it plays and how it, like actually plays the games out. Yeah. And plus, you know, when you take a look at it, like when in the handheld front, it looks like the D pad is a really small, like, like, Mm-hmm. My thumb is going to like cover the entire D-pad. That's how small it's going to be, right? And, you know, the buttons look good. And the build's all right. But, you know, yeah, I need to try this out before I buy it. But, you know, uh, my arcade, they have made reliable stuff. You talk to them at E3, and I checked out like a number of their games. I checked out Dig Dug. I checked out Galaga, Heavy Barrel, Bad Dudes. It's mm-hmm. practically a mini arcade. The mini cabinets, and, basically, yeah. Uh, yeah, pr- pretty much, yeah, which look like the arcade games. But they're releasing a lineup that also includes uh, Bubble Bobble and Elevator Action, one of my favorite games, obviously, and it looks like these are based on the arcade games, not the NES games, although that's not finalized yet. They haven't told us yet, but they're also releasing a number of pocket players. They're going to have Bubble Bobble, uh, Don Dokodon, which I still need to play. I still have not played that yet. And Miss Pac-Man, 
which is uh, really cool. So, and then Dig Dug as well. Yes. And each of them have like three different games. Like for instance, Dig Dug one has Dig Dug, Dig Dug two, and the, for some reason, the Tower of Druaga. I don't know why that keeps coming back, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird, but yeah, uh, all these are supposed to be out this year, priced at thirty four ninety nine a piece. Meanwhile, that Retro Champ console is priced at seventy nine ninety nine. I'm, I'm gonna be on the fence about that one. I mean, these guys make good quality stuff, but we've we've seen these guys try to emulate NES games before and especially not in a switch format. So I don't know. I mean, I'll definitely need to try it out. Yeah. There is that curiosity factor. There's definitely kind of like a wait and see uh, factor, especially with like the retro champ. I feel like, cause I'm definitely intrigued by it just with what they're, what, you know, what they're trying to do. Um, I just don't know, like, you know, one with how comfortable it is like to actually hold that thing for extended periods of time. Yeah. Um, and also just with how well, like, the, you know, the games themselves run, especially since you're dealing with, like, the actual cartridges, you know, cartridges themselves and, uh, sticking them, like, into, you know, into, like, the, you know, the device and playing them that way. So, um, yeah, so I definitely, like, have, you know, have, uh, I don't know, some cautious optimism, I guess, for it, if, if you'll call it that. Um, yeah. I'm definitely more interested, though, like, in their handheld stuff, especially, like, with the, uh, with, like, the Dig Dug, um, you know, kind of pocket machine there, too, and, um, also, like, with, with that other game that you mentioned there, there, too, uh, Don Ducko Don Pocket Player, mm-hmm. um, so, like, do, like, I, I actually don't know, like, anything about this game, so can, can you, like, explain, like, a little bit about what it's all about? Oh, and I know what it's about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says it's a platform adventure game. Um, I, I guess I got to look this one up because, I, I like I said, there, there are so many imports I missed out on in the NES days. But it looks like it, it features, like, a little dwarf dude. It's a Taito game. Hmm. And it features, like, this uh, dwarf du- dude with, a, with apparently a mallet. I'm just taking a quick peek at gameplay here. But it looks like something – it looks similar to um, – bubble bobble like you go around you knock out enemies and then you go to the next stage but instead of blowing bubbles you obviously have a hammer gotcha okay that's cool i don't know look at it look it up in your spare time there but uh, (laughs) it's um doesn't really look like it's entirely my speed so we'll let we'll we'll see what we can do yeah and uh that's not the only thing that was showing off during ces actually because uh hyperkin also showed off a light gun apparently Uh, it's basically like an nes zapper more or less that works on your high def tvs um yeah so like for for, for, you know for anyone who has like kind of tried to like get like say like duck hunt to like play on like their modern like hdmi tvs for example um we'll quickly we'll quickly realize that they don't work since like you know those um like the way that the technology works for like the nes zapper is that like it, it basically takes like the light that's flashing uh from like the old tube tvs um to like basically um denote like the hits basically that you're making on like ducks or whatever targets that you have in whatever game you're playing uh with the light gun um so with this like they're actually ma- making that work here Robert. yeah i mean it's called the hyper blaster hd but here's the interesting part when i was doing up the story here it explained that it worked with duck hunt mm-hmm. you know so which is great it's a classic and all that stuff but that seems to be all it works with well, i think you mentioned hogan's up, alley too right in my story it, it doesn't say if it works with hogan's alley or gumshoe or any other of the nes zapper compatible oh games. gotcha okay that's the concern here is like you know i reached out to hyperkin to see if they could say anything but they did just introduce it and they're at the show still so i don't think they can get back to me with details right away mm-hmm. but if this is a one-shot deal literally because it's a light gun <laughs> Yeah, I know. Terrible joke. <laughs> but, um, you know, if it is a one shot deal, it's going to be a tough sell because, sure. you know, I'd be like, yeah, it's great to play duck hunt and everything like that. But to have to pay what, like something, something for the system, like 10 bucks, something for the game and then pay for the light blaster. And then you can't use the light blaster with anything else. It, it kind of feels like, you know, they, they didn't really get too much compatibility with it in mind. Um, now, it's not out yet. It'll be out sometime this year. So hopefully they'll add more compatibility because that would make sense. You know, I've, I've never seen Hyperkin, le- you know, like hold back their products to only work with one sort of thing, you know. So hopefully we'll see what that happens there. But let's also talk about the other stuff they had there, David. They had a Retron do-it-yourself for SNES in which you could actually build your own retro SNES console from scratch without the need to do any hardwiring or soldering. Uh, that's going to be interesting in case you want to do like a custom design or something like that. And there's also a Retron S64, which serves as a quote unquote, cute 64 bit era dock for the switch. Nice. (laughs) Um, my guess is it might have some sort of Nintendo 64 ish design. I don't know how much leeway they have with Nintendo there, but you know, it, it sounds like they're, they're, they're really getting into that good retro crowd, which is a good thing. But again, just got to make sure they don't have any limitations because that's really going to hold back to Hyper Blaster. I mean, if I had to guess, like it's probably like some sort of like inspired, you know, inspired design by the N64 of some sort. Uh, I'm like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure like what, what that would be. Um, but I'm definitely kind of curious by that description as far as like cute 64-bit era dock for the Switch. So I yeah. um, guess we'll kind of wait and see on like what that, uh, what that looks like. 
Fingers crossed it's uh, going to be pretty cool. And then speaking of things that are pretty cool there, David, um, we knew for the longest time that, uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers had that minus world, right? Yes. Obviously, there were people that went to it and everything like that. But did you know there was one in The Legend of Zelda? I had no clue. <laughs> okay. So a user on YouTube going by the name of Skillux posted a video that showed how he got into the minus world. Now, there is this thing where you can walk out of the map on one of the levels, but it doesn't take you to the minus world. Instead, you're taken back to the start of the game. However, he's able to break down the, all the hurdles in the code, so to speak, and he's able to just do a little bit of metric stuff there. And next thing you know, we're in the minus world where everything is pretty much messed up. Like some of the enemies end up bugging out. Octopus creatures end up throwing boomerangs and changing directions sporadically. Uh, they're flashing things. There are a lot of stages with tombstones. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here, but there are a lot of dead people in Hyrule. Yeah, apparently. it might say something there for sure. Like for, as far as like what's going on in this minus world, <laughs> we'll say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's pretty neat. Like, you know, especially because like, you know, obviously this is a very prolific game with like The Legend of Zelda. Like it's, it's the first, first Zelda game. And, obviously like a lot of people like who are like big into into like retro gaming know about the minus world in um in super mario brothers uh but with like a new like with like a minus world basically discovered in the legend of zelda like after all this time is uh, is, is pretty neat and um certainly like all the crazy things that like that the youtuber here uh is kind of showing off in his video uh is really really interesting uh, you know as i mentioned there with like octorox so kind of shooting off like the um with the boomerangs and like uh you know being all glitched out and going through walls and like all this all this crazy stuff basically um so it's pretty neat that you know again like after all this time like for the game like you know have been like released like you know probably like 30 years ago, I'd say at this point, uh, like over 30 years ago, really, um, that, uh, you know, it's th that we like discover something new about it. And uh, it's just it's just really cool to see, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not exactly something you could pull off unless you watch the video, which we'll link to uh, in our notes mm -hmm. if you want to try it out or see how he does it. But uh, it's definitely got a weird effect. It's not as memorable as Mario's Minus World, but it is interesting in case you wanted to see everything that Legend of Zelda has to offer. So there you go. For sure. Uh, and I'll tell you, speaking of things that could have been offered, David, this just angered me. <laughs> um, I wrote this. I wrote this story the other day. Um, the Sonic Mania development team over there at Headcanon, who worked with Christian Whitehead to put the game together, uh, obviously they know their stuff when it came to retro. They posted a pitch this week that they were trying to throw Capcom's way. They wanted to remake the classic Darkwing Duck mm -hmm. for NES. The they Capcom wanted to game. remake it. Yeah, they wanted to remake it from the ground up. And they actually put together a pitch where you could play for several minutes using like a grapple gun, using his classic gas gun. And it actually looked like something out of the Game Boy Advance era, but there was a possibility that if they had gotten greenlit for the pitch, they could have had animation on the same level as, say, DuckTales Remastered from way forward. Or they could even involve a lot of the cast members, like Jim, Cunning, Jim Cummings, who plays uh, Arcway DW. And Capcom denied it. Uh, they didn't say how or why they denied it. I think they just didn't have faith in Darkwing at the time. But he, he can't seem to catch a break because it's like years ago I heard about Disney Infinity. They were thinking about bringing Darkwing Duck. And then, of course, they canceled Disney Infinity. So, right, right. I mean, I mean the, it almost seems like it doesn't it's not going to happen for him. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess as far as like why Capcom may have denied it, it just might not have been like a fit in their portfolio, possibly. Like, like you know, honestly, like just like lately, I've been kind of studying more as far as like the business side of like game development. And, uh, you know, what goes like behind the decisions to like, you know, to shut down projects or to no longer continue supporting a project or whatever it might be. And with something like this, um, you, you would certainly need like a fairly not like a large team, but like, you know, sizable enough team, I think, to uh, to make something that. You know that that certainly like appeases like for like Darkwing Duck fans, uh, like you know those fans of like the original game, and you know to kind of like bring it on that same like level of quality, I'd say, as like Ducktales Remastered. Um, so like, I'm just um, I, like I would guess that that's the case. I'll, you know, obviously I don't like know 100 for or anything, but that's my best guess. Uh, but this does look really really impressive, and I uh, you know it would be really neat if you know if like the timing was right, the stars aligned, you know, for like this to actually be greenlit because it, it does look really really cool, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and uh, there was some text in there on Twitter. Aaron Sparrow, who served as writer for Darkwing Duck, he talked about how, like, last year, Sylvan Art and I were involved with brainstorming this video game. It would have had animated art by James and voiceover by as many of the original cast as possible. Sadly, Capcom passed on it. But here's how it was going. It was conceived as a spiritual successor to the original NES game, unless Capcom wanted to go full DuckTales Remastered with it. It was planned to take place between the show and the Duck Knight Returns, with Steelbeak, Taurus Bulba, and the Fearsome Five as the villains. Each 
character would be pixelated from James's art, and each level would be bridged by a chapter break presented in motion comic form with full voiceover and sound effects. And yes, you would have gotten to fight Wolf Duck. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and the team, and he said the team was great to work with, and not only was I able to guide the story, but they even involved me in level design and gameplay mechanic discussions. It was truly one of the most incredibly collaborative experiences that I've ever been honored to be a part of. And I'll tell you, it's heartbreaking because, you know, the, the company did released Disney Afternoon Collection a little while ago, and that's been a huge hit, uh, both with regular sales and when it went down to like five bucks or seven fifty, or you know, it's been marked down left and right here. And I can't help but think there's still interest there. You know, maybe what it would take is for Disney to bring back Darkwing Duck in animated form, and like like did it with Ducktales, a new series, and maybe at that point Capcom would show more interest in bringing DW back. I I think it's worth it because you know, look how well Ducktales Remastered sold, looks how well Disney Afternoon Collection sold. There's still a draw for old school games. Capcom relies on it. They announced what Dragon's Dogma for Switch. Right. Yeah, that was like a big surprise. I know. So yeah. Yeah, I know. So I mean, they're announcing all this stuff left and right. So I mean, I, I think it deserves. I think it deserves another chance. I really do. So um, fingers crossed that hopefully this will get enough buzz online and Capcom will reconsider. I mean, they've, they've been going nuts with all this retro stuff anyway. So I really hope that they give it another shot because this this looks like fun. As, as, Launch, as Launchpad would say, this looks like fun, Mr. D. That's right. That's right. I would imagine that that's like the reason really like why uh, they like release like this this like pitch video basically like out there so that like fans can kind of like see what it was that they were working on. Like it's it wasn't all for naught, if you will, uh, but yeah. also potentially to kind of like rouse up the base, if you will, in a sense. Uh, where if Capcom sees that there is like enough like fan support for this, then maybe they'll change their mind on it. Maybe down the road, you know, they'll pick it back up or something like that. Um, that's always kind of like the hope. I feel like whenever people kind of like you know put put like enough time and effort into like a project like this, and there's clearly like a lot of time and effort, as you know, as you mentioned there with like the story crafting for you know for like this this like potential like idea of a game, uh, as well as like the like you know the demo that we see like in the gameplay video in your article and all that stuff. So it, you know, obviously there's going to be like a lot of um, you know, hope to try to do whatever you can to, you know, make this be like a real thing. Um, I, I do really hope that we see something like this because after DuckTales remastered, uh, I was really hoping to see a Chippendales Rescue Rangers remastered as well. Yeah, um, same. And so like a DuckTales, you know, like, you know, so having like a Darkwing Duck remastered would certainly make sense too, like in that same line. Like, you know, I'll, I'll put that like along the same, um, you know, same like level of like, you know, what people want to see next after DuckTales remasters as, as like Chippendale. So, it, you know, like just like fingers crossed, really. That's, that's all I can really say on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really hope that, you know, we get to see the terror that flaps in the night. That's right. <laughs> that would be great. But yeah, um, there you go, guys. If you want to see the video, we will link to it in our show notes. Indeed. Welcome. So that's going to lead us now into the next part of the show called What Do You Play? We get some games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Robert, what, what have you been playing lately? Um, I've been playing a whole bunch of stuff lately. I've been playing this um this new game called Double Cross, uh, which is coming to Nintendo Switch uh, this week. It's sort of like a Mega Man-esque platforming game featuring a, a female character. Uh, she's basically... Uh, She's basically a member of this agency called Rift, which is Regulators of Interdimensional Frontiers and Technology. Uh, she uses sort of like a grapple gun to, ex- to like shoot herself up across uh, platforms and stuff like that. But you can also tailor your play style by collecting Upgradium, as it's called. And you can level up and use different agent gear to get different gameplay styles going. It- it's a fun little side-scrolling game. I think I still prefer Mega Man 11 to this, but it- it's a good time. I mean, I'm- I've been having fun with it, so I can't really argue about that. And, and the grapple been- gun is not too unlike the Darkwing duck game that we were talking no, about. No, <laughs> I mean this this is like inner this is like um inner powers, I think, more like. So I gotcha. mean they're like built into her suit, I believe. I don't know. I'm not I didn't ask her, so I can't say <laughs> uh, it's it's maybe it's coming out of her butt. I don't know. <laughs> well I follow but, up then. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um but anyway, um I've also uh been waiting to play After Charge. That comes out this week. Uh we'll be talking more about that. And then I've been playing a lot of Warhammer Vermintide or yeah, Warhammer Vermintide 2. Uh, that is from Fat Shark. It just came out for PlayStation 4 last month. Those guys are actually celebrating a strong 2018 year, so I'm giving away a Steam code for the game tonight, which is cool. 
Uh, so be sure to listen for that. Um, it's a fun little game. Think uh, Left 4 Dead 2 in medieval times. You're basically battling against uh, a rat army. You got like thugs that come up. You know, you have like these trolls that show up and you have all these different soldiers. You have like this one that carries like a blunderbuss shotgun style weapon and he looks like he's wearing a top hat or whatever. And then you got this this elf with a Scottish tone. He's like, let me drink my health potion, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and it's really a lot of fun. I got you a Steam code too there, David. Might as oh, well. nice. Uh, no, glad to help you out. But it, it it's a good game and I really enjoy the heck out of it. And uh, the PS4 version also has a couple of expansions. So you have additional levels they can play through as well. So I definitely recommend checking it out. And like I said, I'll give away steam code a little bit later on the show. And uh, I don't know David, what have you been playing? Uh, so a lot of my time lately has been on that game. Y2K, a postmodern RPG, um, which uh, when, when I kind of first like saw, like certainly kind of gives us, uh, you know, it, it gives off some like earthbound vibes, if you will. Um, just as far as like it being like, you know, like a, like a modern, uh, like more of like a modern setting for like an RPG, but has like a very like, um, I don't know, hipster like appeal to it, if you will, like very hipster vibe. Um, I, I can't really say too much about the game since I'm still like under like a bargo. So I'm basically just kind of like describing things in the game that you would already know just from seeing like the trailers. But, um, if you're definitely intrigued by, uh, you know, kind of like weird type of like indie games and certainly like, you know, like earthbound type of like weirdness for sure. Uh, this might be your jam for sure. I, I, I'm still like, I'm still like unsure as far as like how I feel about the game yet, but like I, you know, I still have like a ways to go in it, so I'll, I'll have like a review up on NintendoEnthusiast.com uh, before the game releases. So, uh, which I know is uh, January seventeenth. So yeah, nice. about like a week about, about like a week from now. So you'll be able to, you'll be able to talk about it next week, which is good. Yes, exactly, exactly. I'll, I'll definitely be, be able to give uh, you know give more details on that. And um, one game I, d- I could definitely give more details on is Inmates on Steam. So this is the game code I'm giving away. So Inmates is a psychological horror game with puzzle elements in which you must find out the truth behind your confinement and uncover the dark sec- uh, the, the dark secrets of the rundown prison you find yourself in. So if that sounds like a jam, then definitely jump on this. Again, this is for Steam. The code is B98ND. E E H five eight V J N two zero again. That's inmates on Steam. Enjoy. Welcome back to the stage of history. So with that, we have the stage of history, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot for better or for worse in the pantheons of history. So I figure since we're going to be talking about LGN and LGN games, uh, that we that, you know that we would talk about uh, you know for, for for one of the games here in the stage of history is Back to the Future. So this is a 1989 adventure game by Beam Software. It is based loosely on the 1985 film. It contains two songs from the movie, a sped-up version of The Power of Love and Johnny B. Good. And Bob Gale, screenwriter of the Back to the Future films, has called this, quote, one of the worst games ever, end quote, and even insisted that fans should not buy it. <laughs> so it kind of shows, like, how, um, you know, how adamant he was uh, against, this, uh, against this game. And uh, there's, a, there's a good reason, too, because I guess I was reading more on that with Bob Gale. Uh, apparently, um, he was, he like tried to approach LJN, I guess, in regards to helping like fine tune the game and make sure that it was like accurate enough to the movie and all that stuff, like being, you know, being screenwriter for the movies and all. Uh, but apparently they, they, uh, they kind of like told him that they were too far in development or whatever. And I think, uh, he suspected that they were lying about that and just didn't want it to be like part of the development process. And so I think he has like a little bit of sour grapes on that. So. <laughs> Yeah, th- this this game is pretty hideous. <laughs> it's pretty bad too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sure. mean, like, like the you know the structure of the levels is just really bad. Like, you know, in the first level, you're you're like running upward for some reason, and you're avoiding all these different people and collecting clock clocks. Icons yeah, <laughs> for, for some reason, and then at one point there there's a really bad stage where it was that you're fighting off like uh, Biff's thugs by. Mm-hmm. By, by throwing things in the cafe while blocking. No, this is another part. You're blocking kisses that Lorraine tries to send Marty. Yeah, it's a little, little creepy, a little bit. Cards <laughs> and then the whole play it, you know, play like the guitar thing. I, I uh, it, the whole thing is just a headache. And then there's that whole final sequence where you race the DeLorean time machine and you're dodging lightning bolts and obstacles while trying to get 88 miles an hour. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, there's a reason Bob Gale hated this. <laughs> <laughs> Several reasons. And the music in the beginning, you, you say you had those two songs, but seriously, the music in the first day, yeah, it was over and over. Repeat for hours on end. It was one of those indications that, you know, it was Definitely made for the license. That's something we'll talk about here with LGN because they had a history of this. But yeah, it's it's just bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean this this is a game I, I have very little um, 
very little experience with really, but uh, I, I do remember playing a little bit of it and just immediately just putting it down because I just could not, just, you know, I, I like for, for like the life of me, like especially with the music. And for me, like the experience of playing video games, like I, I would say that music is a big part of it. Um, if the music is that hideous, I will not play it at all. So, um, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, that was kind of like a big, big reason why, why I just couldn't play it. But also like the gameplay itself certainly didn't help either. Um, as you mentioned there with running up on the street and collecting clocks and all that stuff as Marty. So, um, but yeah, that's definitely one to kind of leave, leave, leave in the trash bin along with like another LJN game, which, uh, which I will definitely mention more of, uh, with, um, with like Bill and Ted's excellent video game adventure. Um, just was not a fan of that either. So we'll, we'll definitely talk more about it in the main topic. Uh, but the next game we have here in the stage of history is Spider-Man and Venom Maximum Carnage. So like a little bit better here. Uh, it's a 1994 beat-em-up by Software Creations. Many of the cutscenes feature semi-animated versions of art taken directly from the comic of the same name. First prints of the game were sold in red-colored cartridges. And it was the first Spider-Man video game to receive a teen rating. So like a little bit of, a, of like history there for that. Um, so with Maximum Carnage, I mean, like, you know, certainly like a lot of fun. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like one of the best beat-em-ups out there, or like, like, you know, by, um, by any means, like, you know, like, especially on the SNES, which is uh, kind of known for having a lot of good beat-em-up games on there. Um, but I, I would say that Maximum Carnage is certainly one of the better, um, games that LGN has, you know, has published in their, uh, in their brief history. I think that's because there was actually some effort to kind of mimic the tone of the comic series. You know, they really wanted to capture that idea of comics. I mean, there are times that the the beat 'em up tactics can be a little repetitive, but I mean, they definitely got the spirit of the comic book nailed down. And this was an interesting fact too. Um, They actually brought in an American rock group called green jelly to write the game soundtrack. And the song (laughs) carnage rules. That's actually on my playlist. (laughs) It's it's a title screens uh, theme song and it could actually featured on the album uh, three, three, three that was released by the band in 1994. And it was a, it was basically limited because of the limited storage capacity of the Super Nintendo and Genesis cartridge, but they did a good job getting you know enough of the theme in there so you get an idea of what you know the song was like, which was cool. And then obviously having the red cartridges was pretty nice as well. And the game got more exposure than Separation Anxiety, which was kind of the follow-up uh, that we talked about a while ago. So Maximum Carnage definitely um, did put comic book video games on the map, especially after the garbage we got on the NES. I mean, X-Men... Really, we'll get into that, but <laughs> this was definitely a better produced um, comic book game, which we yeah. kind of needed. And I, I think like a lot of people love Maximum Carnage mainly because of the presentation, because of that comic book style and the fact that, that that does use like the art basically from the comic book, but in that, you know, again, semi-animated sort of style. Um, it's, just, it's just really cool to see, like, you know, see, seeing like the comic book come to life in that sense and also being able to play as Spider-Man and Venom in that case um, in order to kind of progress in the story. So um, it, it's really cool in that regard. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned there, like the beat-em-up uh, action is kind of get like very repetitive at times. Um, but it's, it's certainly nowhere near like the kind of like trash that LGN would kind of come out with like on, on the regular, like around that time. of. So, yeah. yeah, it was definitely a step up from what they normally did. And speaking of games that were kind of a step up from what they normally did, I want to bring up uh, an Obscura uh, for this week. I wanted to bring up Alien 3. Uh, this is based on the David Fincher film of the same name. It was released for the Sega Genesis and Amiga in 1992, although additional versions were also released for the NES, Super NES, and Master System. Uh, it was developed by Probe Software, except for the Game Boy version, which was done by Bit Studios. And it basically had you play as Ellen Ripley as she made her way through Florina 161 Prison Colony, taking down any aliens that she came across. It was also infinitely known for uh, its very short ending, in which it basically just said, you know, you win or something like that. It really didn't. Yeah. Didn't really impress. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. A winner. I didn't say a winner is you, but it came pretty close. But <laughs> nevertheless, the game itself was a lot of fun. Uh, it was good fun to play. I mean, obviously, I prefer the Aliens arcade game because of its side scrolling nature, but this was really well done for an LJN style game. And uh, it was fun to play both on Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, but it was also interesting what happened to the other versions of the game. Uh, There was the Master System game, which was only released overseas and had the same level layouts as the Genesis version, but it also had a two-player option, which something I really would have liked to see in a Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, just because it would have been great to go through with a friend and take down all these alien forces with a buddy by your side. But uh, all the same, it was a fun game. And, uh, you know, 
in the area of LGN, those were pretty hard to come by. So I mean, it's pretty nice to, to have those along for the ride. Um, the Sega Genesis version, I think, kind of fared the best. Um, you know, the Super Nintendo version did have good graphics and sound, but it only had six stages along with the password feature. But the Sega Genesis version had 15 stages. So it was obviously the definitive version to, to play if you really wanted to see what this game was about. Um, did you play it at all there, David? Alien 3? Um I I can't remember if I have. I may have played the Genesis version maybe like a little bit because I had like a neighbor growing up who had the Genesis and he was basically like the Genesis kid of like the neighborhood more or less. Um, you know, so I think I played it over his, as at you know at his house, but like I can't remember really. Um, but yeah, this is always like one of those games that um, you know, I would always kind of hear more about or like read more about as opposed to playing. Um, but yeah, like from from like your experience, like is it like one of the uh, I guess like least offensive LGN games that kind of came out there? It definitely is. I mean, it definitely nailed down the theme. I actually enjoyed it more than the movie, <laughs> if I dare say. Oh, okay. Well, so, yeah. I mean, like I know like the movie, like a lot of people have like issues with that. Oh, so. So it, issues nothing a freaking subscription, but uh, <laughs> it was bad. But this this was a fun little action game. I thought I, I really enjoyed it. So if you can, like I said, hunt down the Genesis version. I think that would probably be your best bet in terms of seeing what Probe was going for in terms of the game's design. Um, and maybe hunt down the Master System version, see how that two-player holds up. I, I wouldn't mind trying it out someday, just see how it yes. is. Used to keep searching for something to see. Then my mom, she got smart. She got me video art. Sixteen colors set me free. Now the best thing on TV is me, video art, draw my own stuff, make my own shows, it even erases, see, off it goes, video art, now the best thing on TV is me, 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 video art. It's time to dig in, David, to the badness of, well, not the badness, the mostly badness of LGN yeah. and we get Dr. down with the badness in this case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to do it, but I don't want to throw up my voice, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, LGN, they were pretty much uh, around since the whole thing began with, uh, with their um, NES era. You know, they were a toy and video game company. They got their start in New York city back in 1970, but then they agreed to step into video games. And next thing you know, we saw labels like flying edge arena entertainment, and obviously oh, yeah. acclaim, you know. So, I mean, it's a matter of it really spread across a lot of different venues. But for the most part, throughout its operation, the company was known for its licensed fare. Um, you know, there were some original games that came out of it, like Roger Clemens, MVP Baseball comes to mind. The Dreamcast racing game Spirit of Speed 1937 comes around. Yeah, which is like the last game that they were technically published under, even though the um, even though with like LGN, they, they actually folded five years before that game came out. Which so. is kind of interesting. It had the LGN label and yet LGN wasn't around. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was clearly like a way for like a claim to have the game released, but not have their name attached to it, basically. Yeah. Like they were required. So that I mean, reason. Not that the game was special anyway. It was kind of blah. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was very much blah from what I remember because I remember. I think I remember actually playing that game too, and it's just like mm, there's nothing here like at all. <laughs> um, but I, I actually had like some um, some like bits of history uh, like from, you know, from like LGN's uh, you know just, just like time like in, in you know in the gaming in, in the gaming industry. Uh, you know, as you mentioned there, they were founded in 1970 by by Jack Friedman, um, and the name LGN actually comes from uh, Jack's former boss's initials back words basically so his, his boss's name was norman j lewis so i guess he kind of named the company somewhat in his in his memory in a sense so right off the bat we knew they were going in backwards is that what you're saying? I, I guess so yeah they're going in ass backwards in this case yeah pretty much. um and uh, they they actually started off strictly as um, as like a toy company uh, most mostly well known actually for their uh, for their thundercats and wwf toy lines uh, basically and I, I remember having those uh those like thundercats toys actually and the, the they were they, you know they, they were no like he-man toys but they were definitely up there i'd say like they were definitely like you know like some of the better toy lines that, that were out there i remember as a kid um and in 1985 lgn was actually acquired by mca for over 60 million dollars and for for those of you who don't know with like mca uh, in terms of like their history with um with like gaming uh the person who ran mca at the time unsuccessfully tried to sue nintendo over their use of donkey kong's like you know because i think mca owned king kong at the time so they were trying to like make that you know to make that argument to sue them um, so yeah, they, so, uh, so you have like MCA who, uh, who owns, um, who, who owns uh, LJM 
And then uh, that's when they began to publish video games, um, like basically like a year later. And they even introduced like their own short-lived console, as you mentioned earlier there, Robert, the LGN Video Art, which was basically like a super basic like paint program as a dressed up as a console, more or less. Um, and I don't know if you remember, like there was like a there was like a commercial for it too, which had kind of like its own rap for it as well. <laughs> oh God, why'd you bring that back up? <laughs> Nauseating as shit. No, thanks a lot. But yeah, <laughs> I think right off the bat, I mean, they didn't really seem to realize in the game market what people really wanted. They were so concentrated on getting these brand names out there by any means necessary that they didn't really take the time to develop the best games out there. I mean, there were a few that slipped by. Obviously, Maximum Carnage comes to mind. Alien 3 comes to mind. But even like Acclaim's later years, we were seeing so many licensed games that pretty much went nowhere. You know, like I, I bring up NBA Jam 2000 again because they tried to betray the NBA Jam theme with something simulation-based, which makes no damn sense. But then you have other games like the South Park games, which Trey Parker and Matt Stone completely hated. Then you had stuff like, well, you know, the Turok games were okay, but then we had stuff like Stargate and Judge Dredd, both of which used kind of swapped arts, you know, like in terms of animation and stuff. And there were a lot of lazy efforts that came out of Acclaim, but of course, LGN led the charge with their initial lineup of NES games. And there are a number here that come to mind, just existence for franchises. Like we had the Karate Kid which had come out like years after the movie, but existed just for the license, you know? Yeah, there was Nightmare on Elm Street, which uh, from what I remember wasn't too bad. Um, but uh, one thing that was like really interesting about that game I found was that they actually reused, I believe, the same, uh, like a lot of the same sprite assets uh, for that game as they did with uh, WrestleMania Challenge, which is like one of the NES wrestling games that they came out with, I uh, remember. See, I've been barely a wrestling game because he's like, they had so many bad elements to it. And what was it? You had to catch one of the magic icons outside to kind of get a power up. That was like the first game. Uh, so WrestleMania Challenge was actually the follow up to that. Oh, which okay. actually had that. Um, it was kind of, kind of like a uh, isometric kind of view, and like I had like the ring and like a diamond shape I know instead you're of like, just looking at square. But I think that had troublesome gameplay too, right? I didn't play that one too much. Yeah, so I figured you were struggling. Yeah, with it. it wasn't as bad as that previous game, but it's, it still wasn't all that good. So. Yeah, and then you know, like there, there were the games that are obviously out there just to get attention with a license. Like I, I don't know why the Karate Kid was made, but I do know why Friday the Thirteenth was made. Uh, this is obviously one of the most noteworthy releases, just because you and your friends are dead. Game over or something. Like right, right. And it made no damn sense. Like you were going around the camp and eventually faced off with Jason. But first, here's a snake or here's a floating head for no reason. You know, <laughs> um, so it was it was really awkward, but it still lives on today. You know, people still talk about the glowing Jason. You can play as the glowing purple Jason in the Friday the 13th multiplayer game. That's how much of an yes. outreach yeah. this game has. It's kind of ridiculous. But then you had other games. You know, we brought it back to the future. But then you also brought up Bill and Ted's excellent video game adventure, which Oy, was yeah. not, you know, they, they <laughs> it was one of the, another isometric design game where you go through like these different worlds. But the gameplay was yeah. just shoddy. Wow. So I, I have a very troubled history with this game, uh, with Bill and Ted's excellent video game adventure. Um, so I used to play it all the time because one, I love the movies. Um, and two, it was also like one of the, like one of the only games I had like at the time. So I was just kind of just playing it a lot and I was just trying to figure it out really. Like, it's just like one of those games, like, you know, it's kind of, kind of like back then, like you, you don't have like the internet, you don't have FAQs, like you, you don't have like any resources really, aside from like your own, like just curiosity and or Nintendo tenacity or, Nintendo or like Nintendo power. Yeah. And, and I believe I, I did look up like a Nintendo power, like map for it or something like that, but there wasn't really anything that it could really tell me because Honestly, with with the way that this game works is that you have to randomly jump into bushes or trees or whatever else, basically just random landscape markers, whatever, um, in order to find what's called like bait, basically. Like you have to find like bait in order to bring out historical figures that you're trying to find in whatever world you're in. So I think you start off in the medieval world, from what I remember. Uh, this The second level was in the Wild West, I remember. And um, so basically you have to find like, say, like Rembrandt, for example, in the, in the medieval world. And so in order to find him, I think you had to find like, I don't know, like a paint can or something like that. I forget exactly what to find. Um, but the, there's like these like different like baits basically you have to find like around the world and their locations are completely random. It could take you forever to find something. And even if you find um, even if you find bait, it's not necessarily the right bait for that historical figure who you're looking for. So it's just like 
it's just so frustrating to deal with. Um, so yeah, th- that's basically like my my history of that game. But yeah, I, 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 was, I was trying so hard in order to like progress in that game and like you know because every time you do you be level, you see like the wild stallions get like more and more like band equipment basically to become better and better. So I was just I, I wanted to get to that end. Yeah, you know? it was developed by a company called Rocket Science Games, which apparently totally mislabeled itself. I, I don't <laughs> I don't understand right, right. it there, and uh, they didn't stick around too long after that. So it apparently is didn't really stick with them in the long run but you know and then we get to another game the uncanny x-men this has to be one of the worst comic book games that i have ever played it was a top-down game in which you basically selected from a number of different x-men characters these include playable characters like wolverine cyclops storm colossus nightcrawler and iceman and you take on different bosses like Boomerang, Sabretooth, Juggernaut, the White Queen, and Magneto. Um, originally, it was supposed to be like, you know, this, this hack and slash game. It was supposed to be like similar in spirit to like what Konami did with their X-Men arcade game, if you will. But the gameplay was just so horrendous. Like nothing really worked. You could barely see what was happening on screen. You could barely make out Wolverine from Cyclops. That's But different colors, <laughs> maybe. That That's really about it. But... You know, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it, it, it's just terrible. The graphics are bad. You know, the poor partner AI. I mean, when you had a partner working with you, they kept wandering off. I'm like, where the hell are you going? The fights over here. What, what do you? Right. What, what's wrong with? Are, are you a sentinel? Are you just telling me you're not a sentinel? That's what it is. But it, it's just really, it was a goddamn mess. It is what it was. You know, Sega paid it a lot better homage, obviously, with their X Men games because they were a lot more loyal and a lot more fun to play. But then you had uh, games that were plainly named. You know, when they came out, we had Major League Baseball and NFL. Which was pretty interesting, honestly, because, like, they had the rights for the team names, but not the player names, since they, you know, since, since, uh, since those, like, licenses are separate. Yeah. Um, but, like, I know, like, with NFL, because I remember playing that, like, a little bit before, like, as a kid, um, it was buggy as all hell. Like, it was almost unplayable in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, um, it got outshined by RBI Baseball, and RBI Baseball didn't have any sort of... Well, with, like, NFL, I mean, like, it was more, like, with, like, Tech Mobile, for sure. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. But, NFL got overshadowed by Tech Mobile by, like, five miles. It was so yeah. bad. It was just terrible. But, yeah, I mean, that, that was just basically them reaching for straws. And even with, like, fun game themes, it, it almost seemed like they didn't know what they were. Like, Jaws. I think Jaws would have been, like, a much more amazing 8-bit game had it been, you know, just controlling the shark. Like, like Jaws Unleashed did on PS2. You know, I think that would have been a yeah. lot. But obviously, they didn't want the kids eating people. I don't know. <laughs> and it, it was just kind of frustrating that we were playing this game and it just didn't really have any entertainment. It was basically the dull overhead view of where to put your boat and then doing the yeah. side view sequence where you, you know, try to find the shark and it got kind of boring. And then they had Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, <laughs> this game was developed by Rare. So I, I was thinking, you know, at one point, maybe they would have been something like side-scrolling stages or, or driving stages. It was more like an investigative type of game, you know, and uh, it, like it, it, like a graphic adventure, if you will. And I don't know, at, at the time, I think some people really wanted something more side-scrolling. Not that it was a horrible game, but it was like, it, it's like a miss the mark. Like they wanted to kind of bring the mystery to NES people. And I I don't know. It it just, uh, something felt off by it. Not that it was, like I said, the effort was willing there. It had David Wise doing the music and it had Rare doing the development. So it wasn't like a horrible game. It just felt like it missed the mark to me. Yeah. I mean, they were clearly trying to do something different with it as far as like, you know, what type of game was going to be, as you mentioned, there was like more like investigative and you had to like find like pieces of the will, I remember. And like, you go in like into like Toontown as well, and like you like talk with people and like to find like you know uh, find like evidence or whatever, um, or like different items or whatever like in buildings and whatnot. It's it just I I feel like the type of game that they were going for might have been too ambitious for the technology that they were working with at the time, <laughs> maybe. So if you had like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit game made now, I think you could do something really really cool and really intriguing with that. Um, it's just unfortunate that you know the movie obviously came out like around the NES time, so you know that that's just what what we were stuck with. Yeah, and then you know there was stuff that had a little bit more interest. There was Gotcha the Sport. Uh, this was back mm. when Gotcha, you know, like the Gotcha the Spy movie came out, and then they did the whole paint the paint oh, guns. Yeah, I remember those. It was yeah. it wasn't 
terrible for a zapper game but you it, it wasn't Hogan's alley either i guess is the best way no. to put it and then there but was th- that, oh, that's 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 actually like a good tie-in though because like with like lgn like you know obviously they they um they made toys as well as uh you know as, as well as like um with, with, with like video games that they came out with um so like the, you know the, the, i remember they came under like hot water with like these uh these like water guns that they came out with uh which basically looked like real guns because they're all like in black and they you know they looked like handguns machine guns and things like that and there was like all these like stories on the news about cops accidentally killing kids who you know who looked like they were carrying like real weapons basically um so i know ljn came under like hot fi- uh, you know hot water for that uh like you know, hot hot fire and hot water i guess in this case um and then they they came out with that um uh what's 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 that game called again splat um yeah splat i think it was yeah splat yeah so they had splat which was the you know the the paint guns as you mentioned as well as they made like the game based on it too um but I think those also like was, they were trying to like basically recover from uh, from like the uh, from like the water guns that they had, which looked like real weapons. Yeah, and it, you know they ended up like having like a whole bunch of like returns for I think like over thirty million dollars of returns basically for those guns, uh, which is what prompted MCA I believe to uh, basically sell the company to acclaim at that point. Yeah, and then there was one other interesting game I wanted to bring up here, and that's the Punisher. This was actually pretty fun, but it was a shooting game that didn't take advantage of the NES Zapper. Uh, you had a control icon on screen. I know a few people that were annoyed by that, but the game was surprisingly dark and violent. You know, if, in a time like the NES games, they didn't have that much. This was definitely something that fit the Punisher theme. And remember this one part, like you were you were going through the stage, you were shooting bad guys with the little cursor on screen, and they'd have this dude playing saxophone. I don't know why he picked this neighborhood to play saxophone in, <laughs> but you know he did and everything like that. And you could shoot him too. And when you shoot him, the music's like. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> At least I had like a sense of humor about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were be like, "Don't kill him," but okay if you have to. You know, misses. But I thought this was actually kind of fun. But like I said, I think it would have been a lot better if it had supported you know, the light gun. Cause it's, it brings us, you know, like why was revolution X released on PlayStation and Sega Saturn? If they don't take advantage of light guns, you know, it, it makes no sense, but uh, you know, it was a lot of fun and it was one of those gems that stood out from an otherwise kind of lackluster lineup of games between LJN and acclaim. You know, it's like all the other ones they were going for popular themes. You know, we saw how many Spider-Man games from them, like including like arcades revenge, you know, amazing Spider-Man one, two and three invasion of the spider slayers. We saw obviously maximum carnage, um, separation anxiety you know and then we saw like wolverine wolverine adamantium's rage i mean they they produced like all these titles left and right because they had the rights but some of them you know like i said were underdeveloped or just didn't really i mean i'm still trying to figure out why the town and country games were made you know thrill us so far oh tnc surf, surf design yeah, yeah, yeah that's right it was just i don't know yeah. it was it was actually like, like a kind of a cool game honestly for what it was um you know because it was basically just like uh, about like skateboarding and surfing basically and when you're in like the surfing levels you're basically like a monkey on like you know just surfing the waves basically just trying to survive as long as possible um it's pretty neat but um but yeah like when when like acclaim uh got a hold of ljn they basically just kind of used them as like another um, another publisher more or less uh, in order to kind of get more games out there because that was back when like nintendo had that um uh, had that kind of like rule kind of like in place uh where publishers can only release like certain amount of games per year basically um so it's basically kind of the same thing actually that like konami did with like the uh you know with like ultra games uh but like in in like a claims case uh with with like ljn um LJN was actually like like a real company as opposed to like the dummy company that uh, that Ultra Games was. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of no matter um, what what platform you're going for, they, they still relied heavily on licenses, and I think that was pretty easy to see from a mile away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, there was nobody who pointed this out better than Angry Video Game Nerd, who mm-hmm. featured <laughs> a number of these games on his show. I still remember the Back to the Future episode. And the look on his face when the music kept repeating, yeah. or like the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, like you know, like um, it's like episode they came out with as well, yeah. like with, uh, with with actually had like Freddy like just kind of showing up and stuff like behind them. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. I thought so too. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you have that kind of notoriety in which you know the only way your games are really remembered if somebody goes and makes fun of them for fourteen or fifteen minutes at a time, you know, <laughs> you, you know you've got a problem. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess like Elisa has like that 
sort of like appeal to it, even though it's like infamous really in, in its appeal. Um, although like for me, like a lot of like my LJN experience, aside from Bill and Ted, uh, was from like the wrestling games for sure. Like with Super WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, and, and, uh, and also Raw too. Um, like all, like all, all the WWF games that they came out with. And, um, these games were like, okay, like for, for the time. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I feel like they were kind of like one of the better, um, at least like some of the better wrestling games that we got until we got to the N64 age. Um, aside from like Saturday Night Slam Masters, like I would call that probably like the best wrestling game that came out uh, around that 16-bit era. Um, but aside from that, I mean, like you know, if you wanted to play as like you know, as like Hulk Hogan or like you know, Razor Ramon or like um, you know, or, or like any of the WWF wrestlers back in the day, like with you know Undertaker and all that, um, those are the kind of games that you're kind of le- left with, really. And so they, they were like at least like playable in that sense. Yeah. So. But then there was the interesting side experiments. Um, in this case. <laughs> Whatever LGN video art was. Yes, yes. Let's talk about this for a minute. Fill us in on what LGN, because this was also featured in Angry Video Game Nerd, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, yeah he so. did like an episode on this uh, like five years ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, I, you know, I was mentioning before, like you know, with with, uh, with like the commercial that they have for this. So maybe the, you know, maybe the commercial kind of give you like a or, or like at least like the uh, like the rap lyrics. Watching that they TV. Use for the Watching TV. Watching TV. <laughs> you just keep search for something to see. But then my mom, she got smart. She got me video art. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading this, and it sounds like that's how the commercial went. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the commercial in a long ass while, so I'll definitely have to check it out after we're like finished recording. But I mean, yeah, it's, let's uh... definitely not add it because we don't want to lose people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, this is like something that was clearly very experimental, as you mentioned. Um, and LJN like just kind of trying to do something, or like MCA really is because they were they were kind of like you know, leading like a lot of the decisions on this. Um, as far as like trying to kind of get something out there like in the home market that wouldn't necessarily um, be like competing with like the NES or you know or, or, or anything else really, uh, it was just trying to be like its own thing. But you know, this was just so bad <laughs> that anyone who was unfortunate enough to get this as like a gift or whatever, like from like their mom or whatever, um, apparently they weren't so smart. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll say kind of go back to the rap lyrics. I think what they were trying to do, they were trying to offer a consumer friendly version of something like Mac Paint or Microsoft Paint, you know, and that's essentially what they were trying to do. Yeah, yeah and they were trying to introduce like Disney, Looney Tunes, and Marvel superheroes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, again, uh, using kind of the licenses that they had at the time, basically. Yeah, but uh, I mean, the Angry Video Games Nerd episode kind of nails this down about why it's so epically awful. Like, it's <laughs> just no. I mean, like. Thankfully, we haven't seen too much like a this generation, but did you know what this reminded me of? Do you remember the U-Draw game tablet? Yeah, that, that, I do, uh, THQ came out with, and they, they thought that was a good idea for some reason, yeah. and it wasn't because yeah. they were trying to like do something with that, and they did it something similar. You know, they brought in all these licenses like Kung Fu Panda 2 and SpongeBob Squiggle Pants, whatever the <laughs> hell that is. Which is kind of funny, actually, because um, you know there is actually like a bit of like a um, of a connection to that, uh, as, as you mentioned there with with uh, with like THQ, because THQ is actually like a company that was also uh, started by by Jack Friedman, uh, who started you know who started um, LJN back in the day, um, you know because he started um, THQ as well as Jack Specific as well, and at least Jack Specific is like still in business right now, um, but yeah, like it, it's kind of funny, like you know these like companies like you know who are basically like in the same industry, uh, trying to do like a lot of the same things and seeing which one might catch on if any of them catch on at all and uh, unfortunately for all of them none um i don't think i don't think any of them did so <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh, i mean even like when he was in charge of the company at the time um jason rubin he said it was one of the massive mistakes that led to their demise you mm-hmm. know and now that they're back i'll be like no we're working on games we're just doing games no fuck i'm not drawing a tablet no <laughs> i remember going to a press event for this like a few years ago they had for, it the, for the video art for the you draw Oh, you draw. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, I'm, and you know, it just reminded me. I, I was looking at it. I'm like, they really think this is going to be a success? Did they not learn <laughs> from video arts? You know? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's just kind of fascinating how LJN thought this would be a good idea, but then they realized, you know, how high-priced it was and how you had to, like, buy different cartridges for it, and there was nothing that was really fun there. You know, there's there's drawing on a tablet, and then there's drawing on a device that doesn't even have that big a draw space. You know, yeah. I mean, like, I wasn't angry video game nerd, like, struggling just to make a couple of the games work. <laughs> That's yeah. how bad it got, you know? It was just... I mean, I mean, to, to actually, like, make, like, something that you're trying to, like, draw, basically, I mean, you're just much better off just, like, taking, like, a piece of paper and crayons and just, like, drawing that way, basically. Because, 
like to to actually use the controller that you're like left with for the video art um, or like the UDRAW or like any of these devices really, um, it just wasn't wieldy enough really to like make anything like really all that good, honestly. Um, I would say like the only thing like, you know, that's kind of close to something like this that was actually like pretty entertaining, pretty cool, and still is cool to to this day, I'd say, is Mario Paint on SNES. Yeah. Um, and, even, you know, that's very limiting, obviously, too, like for, you know, for what it is, you know, it's an SNES like, you know, program really, not not necessarily a game, even though it has, you know, has, has like mini games in it or whatever, but um, but still, I mean, like it's, it's pretty cool um, what Nintendo was, was able to do with that, that no one else was really able to like replicate before then. So I think yeah. because Nintendo got the idea of what made it work, you know, the mouse accessibility was really cool compared to like yeah. drawing in a tiny space and trying to, to replicate shitty art, you know, it, it just, it, having it, the mouse it, helps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the mouse <laughs> is, is a piece of work and having all these tools, even like the music maker, I still see videos on YouTube that the, they utilize Mario paints music maker in some of the best ways possible. I mean, having, Unlimited accessibility really goes a long way compared to drawing again on a shitty pad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, video art, I can't help but think maybe that contributed to the company's demise as well. I mean, it was around for several years. Obviously, you know, Acclaim didn't shut its doors finally until like um, 2004. But I can't help but think, you know, LGN had to shift some stuff around after this failed so badly. Yeah. And uh, just to correct myself before, uh, that was Gotcha, the sport uh, for that that we were talking about before with like the paint guns and yeah, all that not stuff, Splat. So, yeah. I don't know where you got Splat. Yeah, no, I was, just, I was thinking Splat for some reason. I'm not sure why, but yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, as we mentioned before too, like um, with like LGN's last game uh, that was under their um, their their name was Spirit of Speed 1937, which was a Dreamcast game, uh, which released five years after the company folded when when like a claim was just like enough is enough. Basically, it just had no use for LGN anymore. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, there was authenticity with this racing game, but it was just. Compared to like San Francisco Rush 2049, even like V Rally, it, it just it was lame. It, it, you know the bad, yeah. the controls are bad. <laughs> IGM uh, over at IGN, Jeremy Dunham gave the game a 2.2 out of 10 and said it was the poorest excuse for a Dreamcast game I have ever laid eyes on. So it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like LGN went out on bottom. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So, pretty much, pretty much. So, so I guess um, what would we like? I guess I like, consider to be I don't know, like the the best LGN game that came out like under under like the company label because like it's it's yeah it's you know I, I know we're kind of spoiled for riches here but <laughs> um, but yeah it's it, I don't know there's I mean, I mean I guess like there's like Maximum Carnage you know we we did mention with with um with like Maximum Carnage being being like a pretty you know like a pretty pretty good game um a pretty decent game at least um and I don't know I'm like having a hard time just like thinking of like other games that are actually like good or even playable you know, <laughs> as far I, as like what they released with i'm gonna say maximum carnage and or the punisher because at the least punisher. those okay. those kind of nailed the theme of what they were going for in terms of gritty comic book action you know when they stuck to the comic book materials they weren't bad at all you know so i mean that was good but when you turned it into the uncanny x-men and whatever that toilet bug was <laughs> you know so i mean when you have a game that's at least playable and entertaining, like both the Punisher and Maximum Carnage were, you know, LJN was fine. Even Pictionary. Pictionary is another game that comes to mind because, you know, translating a board game into a video game experience is incredibly difficult. But this game was actually pretty good. You know, it was handled really well when it came to the drawing segments and the multiplayer segments. It, it was it was decent fun. I mean, not that oh. it was the greatest game ever made, but it, it was it was pretty good in terms of the spirits i mean have you played that one uh i don't think so no um no i don't think i have but um one game that did just come to mind that was actually under lgn's name and i think this is clearly actually the uh like the best game actually that lgn's like name is attached to actually is true lies because hmm, they did publish the SNES version of that, I believe, uh, where while the um, the like Genesis version, I believe, was uh, was under like a different like acclaim uh, under, under a different publisher name. I think it was under acclaim, yeah, yeah. in this case. Um, but with uh, with the SNES version, like, cause I, I remember playing this game and like I have it like on my uh, on my SNES Classic. Actually, it it is like a really really cool like top down shooter, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, I would say like that over, you know, then like Maximum Carnage after that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I forgot about True Lies. That's, I mean, like, I even, I even like prefer it to the, uh, to the film. I mean, the film wasn't terrible, but I mean, like, 
you know, the game is just, I'm just going to kill everything. <laughs> you know, basically, yeah, yeah. It's like a murder-a-thon, basically, in that case. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, as far as, like, another, like, really bad game, though, that, like, I certainly have, like, a, you know, bad history with is uh, The Amazing Spider-Man on Game Boy. Um, I completely forgot that was an LGN game as well, which yeah. certainly makes sense just with the plethora of bad games that they released in their history. So Yeah, uh, I mean, if we're if we're going to include, like, the Acclaim-era games, which it sounds like we are, one game I want to kind of bring to mind is The Red Star. Uh, this was released for the PlayStation 2 right at the end of Acclaim's lifespan, actually, uh, which I thought was really cool. It's like a top-down shooter based on the um, the comic book of the same name. Um, it was completed. It was initially canceled, but then the game eventually did come out for PlayStation 2 under XS Games. It was released in 2007, ironically, after Acclaim was shut down. That's what it was. But it was a, a fun little top-down uh, budget shooter. It, it was a really good time. And I'm glad the game was able to make it, make it out. Because, you know, like compared to other games, like, I don't know, Juiced or Mary-Kate <laughs> and Ashley or, you know, all these other itchy and scratchy games. God, Acclaim had it up for a Simpsons games. I, everything oh, had God, a Simpsons yeah. game. I, I, I don't understand it at all. But. Yeah. And we did have, like, a Simpsons episode that kind of, like, went went over all those games. But, yeah, yeah it like, the Simpsons especially has, like, a rough history, like, uh, as far as, like, the game's history that they yeah. have. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're going to include Acclaim, I would say the Red Star. If we're not going to include Acclaim, I'll go back to Punisher and Maximum Carnage. Sounds good. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. uh, so I believe you have a game code now to give away, Robert. Um, I do have a game code to give away. And like I said, uh, we were celebrating um, Warhammer's uh, a great year in 2018. Uh, they had a really, um, really great run with their, you know, like action sort of game. And it was a good time to play. And uh, so they gave me a few Steam codes to give away. So I'm going to give away one tonight here. Uh, this is for Warhammer Vermintide 2. This is a co-op or single-player oriented adventure where you fight your way through rat armies and attempt to turn the tide against the demons of war. It's totally a lot of fun and there are different characters available, different weapons. Uh, you can upgrade, upgrade your gear and it's just a really good time all around if you want to lay waste to rats. Um, <laughs> it's a Steam code here. It's Z0BF3H394T VT38G. That is Warhammer Vermintide 2 on Steam. Enjoy. Sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, we won't have random select this this episode since it's just like the two of us, basically. But, um, but yeah, we, we should have uh, for our next episode, uh, basically the episode that we've been holding off now for the past couple of weeks, which is basically on like cult classic studios and games and stuff. So Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there is one more thing. I, want, I just got to pull it up here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, I had sure. like one more thing I was going to discuss here. But uh, oh, no, we already mentioned uh, Dragon's Dogma. I'm sorry. That's my. Point. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can mention it again if you want to. I mean, like it is kind of like a surprise to see that come out like now for like Switch. So. Yeah, um, I, I guess we can. But uh, yeah, there were a few games that were announced uh, this week. Uh, Dragon's Dogma was announced for Switch. It's coming April twenty third. But we also mm -hmm. have release dates for Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn on three DS oh, yeah. and Yoshi's and the Yoshi game yep, too. and Yoshi Crafted Island or, or World Crafted World. Why do I keep thinking Island? Uh, so Extra Epic Yarn is coming on March eighth for three DS and. Crafted World will release on my birthday, March 29th, David. Uh, Ooh, <laughs> since you're buying well, me cool you stuff. Yeah. Hint, 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 wink, wink. wink. <laughs> not say it more, say it more. But uh, no, I mean, these are all great games. I mean, Dragon's Dogma obviously has this dogma behind it. That's what they did. Mm -hmm. And uh, really great <laughs> reputation uh, being on other platforms. So Nintendo Switch seems like an ideal platform. And it just has me thinking, like, you know, Capcom's kind of digging more in their backlog. So I can't help but wonder what's going to be announced next. A lot of people want to see Dino Crisis remade. I just want to see the Maximo games again, maybe. Mm -hmm. Cannon Spike. Cannon Spike, Power Stone, Rival Schools, Power Stone. like all the things. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, we'll see more announcements in the months ahead. But Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn, this is a good one because Epic Yarn is uh, one of the best platformers on Wii and uh, a yeah. really good time and this one has a new devilish mode so if you want like something with a little higher difficulty you can play it that way which is I think is very cool and then Crafted World obviously beautiful yarn based world it's a sequel to Wooly World and definitely looks a lot more detailed than Wooly World and obviously Poochie is back you can play two player co-op <laughs> and I'm not talking about like the Simpsons Poochie in this no, case uh, <laughs> the much more adorable Poochie <laughs> I'm Poochie the rocking dog <laughs> well for one thing Poochie doesn't talk he just goes Earth, Earth, or whatever it was, but <laughs> um, so yeah, um, those games are coming out soon, and uh, we'll we'll see them in the next few months here, and then things are definitely going to pick up with other releases. So we'll get be informed of what else uh, we see come our way. Indeed, indeed.
indeed. And uh, yeah, that's basically uh, RCast episode 144 in the books. Uh, so if you want to follow the RCast on Twitter, we are at Podcast. Same thing for Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash Podcast. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at TheGuiltyMan. Well, follow me on Twitter. It's at twitter.com slash the DCD. You can also check my work at comicbook.com slash gaming. And like I said, next week we're going to have uh, an episode in which we talk about cult favorites. And uh, after that, I'm also going to be at the Mortal Kombat event next week. So if you see me talking to Ed Boone about uh, about that arcade one-up Mortal Kombat machine, that's where mm, I'm at. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that did get get like revealed. I saw, and like it, yeah. it's, just, it's just really neat to kind of see that because um, is that like just Mortal Kombat two, or is that like all like all the no, first it's Mortal three games? Kombat, Mortal Kombat two, and Ultimate Mortal Kombat three. So that's awesome. Ed, Ed, Ed wants one. So. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> of course. I, of I course. think we all do, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll share that story there in our feed as well. And uh, while you're also checking out video games, be sure to check out our partner site, Don't Feed the Gamers at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That's run by our good friend Leanna Ruppert, where her and the team come up with all the sorts of fan-centric news and reviews in gaming. And if you want to send us any feedback, opinions, retro games, topics for us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at ardcast at retrozap.com. And also be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts, especially the Star Wars variety. Uh, there's the flagship show Bruise and Blasters, along with Kanata's Castle and Starships, Sabres, and Scoundrels. There's also Beltway Banthas, which combines both Star Wars and politics if you're a person of both minds there. There's also the Animania cast if you're an Animaniacs fan, the Deuce cast for all you movie buffs out there, and the Techno Retro Dads if you're into a variety of old school stuff, just like the ARG cast. Yay! Uh, there's also us with our cast, so be sure to find us on iTunes, subscribe, give us five stars, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify, so you have absolutely no reason to not follow another retro gaming podcast and that is episode number 144 in the books until next time keep it retro and remember if you buy x-men games make sure they're not on the nes that's right that's right otherwise you're gonna be tasting the rainbow and it doesn't taste too good (laughs) uh yeah you're not gonna be tasting a rainbow that's crap sorry (laughs) ask the angry video game nerd he knows what he's about we need to get him on the show one of these days yeah he's probably got stories like how he knows macaulay culkin or something Oh, yeah, God, yeah, it's crazy, like, how we got Macaulay Culkin on, on his, like, show there. <laughs> yeah, we won't get Macaulay Culkin ever, but we'll probably get the Angry Video Game Nerds. Yeah, so, maybe, maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what we could do, and we will see you guys next week when we talk about cult favorites. Until next time, we'll see you then. Catch you later. Hey everybody, it's Dustin from the HP Podcast. And this is Ben. We're just coming here to tell you about our show, well, the HP Podcast. The HP Podcast is a weekly video game podcast from HandsomeFandom.com that's also part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. And Ben, it's a little hard to describe our show because it's a little bit of everything. We get into a lot of shenanigans. We also talk about some news. We have some pretty serious topics sometimes, but sometimes uh, our friend Brandon takes a shirt off and uh, just does the show that way. So you should definitely check it out. I think you got stuck to the seat last time. It's possible. So that was that was a time. Yeah. So anyway, check out our show. We would love that. The HP podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.